Hello, welcome back to Talk in Their Language with Helen Bodell. We are on our 22nd episode, which is fantastic, and our second one of the new year. And today we welcome Anna to our podcast. Um, hi, morning, Anna. Nice to meet you. Would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Absolutely. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Uh, so currently I'm head of EAL in a secondary school in Harrogate in North Yorkshire. But I started working with EAL pupils 14 years ago. My initial role in this field was language support assistant, and I worked in this role for a few years in a primary school. It was 2009, uh, schools started having more and more newly arrived children, and roles like mine were needed. In the meantime, I got my teaching qualification and I changed jobs. I became an EAL teacher, later an EAL lead teacher and head of department. Uh, And it was based in a secondary school in Leeds. Throughout my career, I've been observing the development of the EAL provision nationally Um, It's truly fascinating to observe the process, specifically when I look back and remember that 14 years ago, the thought of teaching new to English pupils uh, in mainstream settings was truly challenging and quite frequently even questionable. Yeah, that's um, so true, isn't it? How much it must have changed in the last 14 years. Uh, I think I've been teaching... I was teaching 10 years previous to this job. Um, And like you say, at the very beginning, it was so difficult, wasn't it? There's so much more provision now and more support, which is fantastic, isn't it, for our learners? Absolutely. But you you must have seen a lot over those 14 years. That's true. Yes, I've observed uh, so many changes and adaptation to the system and uh, a clear development of the provision. Yeah, which is brilliant. Um, so you've been teaching EAL learners for over 14 years, which is phenomenal. Um, what do you think the biggest challenges are that you're currently facing in sort of a role as head of EAL and how would you overcome those? Hmm, the biggest challenges related to organising provision for multilingual learners are, in my opinion, various needs of pupils. And I think of the social, emotional, psychological needs first and then the educational needs. So I asked myself how to make the educational journey easier and how to empower them to achieve successes in every sphere of school life. Consequently, we want to prepare those pupils for their adult lives. And the second challenge, of course, is access to the mainstream education, uh, which I mean to the curricular content. How to support teachers to teach lessons that can be accessed by everyone and how to support pupils to simply be able to learn effectively. And uh, to answer your second question, what I found as the most practical and successful method is to uh, take is taking a whole school approach. And by the effects of such approach, we can accelerate the time when many of those needs are met. Yeah, definitely. And how do, how do you sort of um, begin that process, you know, that whole school approach? I mean, I guess it's getting everybody on board, isn't it, and getting the head teacher involved. But how would you start that process? 
Absolutely, yes. Uh, big visions are realized uh, through small steps, and we have to remember that this is going to be a longer process. It's there is yeah. no quick uh, way solution. There's time commitment, there's uh, effort commitment, and uh, specific structures and systems must be created for everyone. But this can be done by understanding the needs of individual pupils first. And I mean, uh, organizing uh, really for a really for type of assessment, analyzing the first language, analyzing the English uh, level of proficiency, the prior knowledge and so on. And then when we understand individual pupils, we can organize uh, also kind of a whole school assessment when we can analyze the cohort of EAL pupils. Uh, knowing the trends, knowing the levels they, they are at, and personalize that approach to the needs of the whole group. And also cooperating, supporting, helping, and discussing the Yale provision with mainstream teachers. So offer them appropriate training, but also resources to use in their practice. And sharing all the findings, all the information with everyone. And I mean with our SLTs, because at the end of the day, they are responsible for the whole school policy uh, with teachers, with other staff members. So everyone is aware of the needs, of specific needs of pupils, and uh, everyone can prepare for those. Yeah, definitely. Because sometimes being the head of EAL or lead sort of teacher can be quite lonely, can't it? And sometimes you feel a bit isolated in the, you know what's best, and sometimes people don't get on board. So it's like you say, it's really important to get everybody together, isn't it, for that CPD? Absolutely, yes. And we can start with a single teacher, a subject-specific teacher. If a method worked with that specific teacher, I can go to the head of department. Uh, if it worked for a department, I can then maybe promote it on a whole school level. So it's constant analysis of what works, what doesn't. And searching for that cooperation with other teachers and departments, but uh, for constant evaluation, we can learn from each other. And this is how uh, we, we worked in um, my secondary school, we, and it, it was quite effective. So which part did you start with, um, Anna, for when you sort of tried to make it whole school? Uh, definitely with analyzing uh, individual students' needs. So language profiles that they, they were shared across the school, um, initial assessments with students, admission meeting with families, uh, trying to involve families as well, uh, engage them into our school, uh, whole school life, and uh, then identifying where the needs were. So I had some excellent uh, projects uh, with different departments. So for instance, I cooperated with our English department or science department for a year. We focused specifically together. Uh, so it was never a one-way process, me ad advising, but it was always a discussion between me and the department, finding out what needs they had and consequently identifying what could be done for pupils and analysing what worked well and what didn't. Yeah. And this can be easily shared sort of in primary school settings, I'm guessing, as well. Absolutely. Um, yeah, with same same sort of idea, but with those staff members in primary. Absolutely. And I think what's important is also uh, and 
saving time by organizing folders with resources. And once we have those resources collected in one place, they can be used later and we can just add to the folder. So even though we have to spend some time organizing uh, materials for learning to personalize for students, we can later save time by using the same resources. So it's a win, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And those people feel more organized and you all feel, you know, ready for it, don't you, for those students? Absolutely. And consequently, they can see what could be done. They have some ideas for their own personalization methods. So they can observe how somebody else personalized uh, and they can check if it worked in the classroom setting. And if it did, they can be prompted to organize more resources by themselves. Yeah, that's it. And you feel empowered then as well, don't you, to carry on and you know, to keep motivated, don't you? True. Um, so you speak at conferences about adaptive teaching and strategies to learn new languages. Could you talk us through some of those ideas? Uh, so before I answer the question, I would like to highlight the importance of understanding the needs of your pupils. So all strategies should be an effect of personalized planning tailored for specific groups of pupil needs. So, for instance, quite often we talk about the use of translations or even translanguaging in the mainstream, but what is important is to consider that not every pupil with EAL can read or write in the first language. So, quite often EAL pupils have developed their first language to the level of its usefulness, but they may not be aware of the academic vocabulary in the first language. Therefore, translations may not be useful for some who are illiterate in the native tongue. Of course, there are always numerous advantages of developing two languages at the same time, but sadly, we may not have uh, the time or capacity in the classroom. So uh, translanguages and translations, by all means, they are excellent teaching tools uh, but my message here is to understand what's the need of a child, right? If yeah. they can actually use those methods in the classroom. Yeah. And when it comes to the most practical strategies, I highly recommend the use of visuals for new to English pupils. Uh, I really like the saying that the language of visuals is universal, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And quite frequently, it is, yes, lower ability learners would definitely benefit from receiving scaffolded tasks, sentence starters, flashcards and glossaries. Their learning would be definitely easier if longer texts, instructions and tasks were presented in the simplified form. And on the other hand, when we work with pupils who are at the intermediate level, we should enable the language development by providing lists of synonyms, advanced structures for writing and speaking. And consequently, we can't forget about those pupils who are already competent, but not yet fluent. So they would need tasks which can enable their progress as well. Some ideas for this uh, group would be question cards with prompts to improve their writing paraphrasing tasks, correct uh, mistake tasks, even tasks related to more cultural references, understanding idioms, sense of humor, or different literary devices. Those would be really strategic for those pupils. Yeah, it's quite often, um, you, you know, you sort of neglect those sort of students that are 
competent like you say you're always trying to focus on those trying to bring up their English aren't you and it's important to push all of your students isn't it that's really important to um, highlight that definitely and would you say that it's important to send sort of pre-teaching resources home do you ever suggest that yeah Yes, pre-teaching uh, is very powerful because uh, it enables pupils to read longer texts at home, translate vocabulary at home, familiarize themselves with uh, lesson content and come more prepared to lesson and become more interactive. So it's an extremely powerful tool for pupils. Yeah, gives them that confidence as well, doesn't it, in the lesson when they arrive in knowing what they're going to be learning and they can build on what they've already they've already learned at home absolutely and revise and even if they learn in the the first language they also it it may be very meaningful for families to get involved because they discuss some concept in the first language and they come to class uh, being prepared uh, to to answer questions or uh, to at least understand the concept yeah they've already had that wider discussion at home We've had um, many listeners um, asking about advice on how they can teach geography recently um, over on many of our social media channels to multilingual learners. And geography is an undeniably language-heavy subject, making it particularly challenging for AL learners. Could you offer some advice and ideas to our listeners on how they can adapt their teaching to support those students in that subject? Mm -hmm. This is a really interesting question. And uh, personally, when... uh... In my role, I had a two-year project with our geography department, and this is how we evaluated our methods. So we started working with a GCSE class, year nine students, and most of those students were new to English. So we had uh, different settings for classes, and we had that lower ability class when everybody uh, was on that lower level of understanding. But also, quite frequently, we had many students joining in throughout the year. Uh, But what comes to my mind first is that geography, being a language or vocabulary heavy subject, has one advantage, which is new content for everyone. So it means that all pupils, regardless the English level, would have to learn new glossaries. Uh, And this can prompt teachers to develop vocabulary strategies for the whole class, not only for the Yale students. So obviously resources such as word maps or flashcards can be distributed. As we mentioned before, they can be used for the prior learning. This is exactly what we did with our students. They were given the glossaries for specific topics and they had to Uh, or translate or to find definitions or illustrations at home so they had some understanding when they uh, came to that specific lesson so they knew what words were uh, used but also those word maps were acting as prompts for students so could quite frequently relate to those words and come back that use them in writing or at least uh, familiarize how to write them Another uh, useful strategy is using visuals as real-life reference points. So it can be observed that quite often geographical materials present graphs or illustrations and they don't prompt making real-life references. So that that was one of our strategies, that everything was actually supported by real photographs, uh, which was helpful. 
vocabulary can be taught in a multi-skilled way. And I mean, not only dual coding, which is adding pictures to words to stimulate the memory process, but also by highlighting keywords uh, in the definitions, but breaking words in the smaller parts. So for instance, uh, let's take the word sedimentary, could be okay. presented as sedimentary, which is easier to read yeah. uh, and remember by even clapping. Um, any type of assessing questions such as to do with, let's imagine, irrigation. Is irrigation helpful? In what way? What can be irrigated? And so on. So definitions can be exercised and we yeah. can quickly assess if the child understood the definition. And when it comes to exam style questions, I want to say that simplicity is the key. So instead of using long texts to self-study, we can just give the final answer to the pupil to comprehend it with the within the lesson time. So for example, I've got this question, how can we reduce desertification in hot deserts? So the answer could be, uh, let's just list a few, a few answers. So good irrigation, store water, prevent soil, national park, and tree planting. And let's imagine uh, we have a new to English child who is just learning basic English. If we get the child to understand the concept of the question and the answers, we give them a chance to answer the exam style question and remember the content. And what's valuable to remember? Yes, the child can speak English now, but it can be predicted that with time they will. Yes. So if today we have a pupil who remembers how to answer questions in a very simplified way, the same child may write an essay about the same topic in a year uh, as the English will develop month by month. So it's all about giving chances and yeah. access to the curriculum. And I think quite often teachers are afraid of simplifying to this extent that it actually goes just to the definitions because there is always that conflict between the assessment requirement and yeah. the level of uh, pupils who can't speak English. But this is an answer because we keep forgetting about the fact that the English is constantly growing. That's, well, at least according to theory. Yeah, particularly uh, if that student in sort of year nine and you do this with them and then you recap it again at the end of the year and then you're doing it again in year 10 and again in year 11, for example. Absolutely. And another point here is that if they have simplified resources or uh, work in that way, this is an excellent revision tool for them at the same time. Because later when they just look back, they see, aha, that question, I need to remember those answers. Yes, I've got it. And they yeah, can be that's it, yeah. quite Maybe successful. Maybe can recap reverse. Yeah, definitely. Um, I could also mention uh, speaking practice. I think it's extremely important. Uh, presentations, for instance, um, can be very helpful. Uh, speaking drills, activities focused on repeating keywords, asking pupils to give definitions. It's just that oral language that for many would be even easier to remember. And once we are able to say words, it can be predicted that it can be also easier later to write them. We have a memory and uh, 
kind of activities already to, to use those vocab this vocabulary. When it comes to reading, obviously scanning, uh, presenting longer text, but in chunks, I think this is one of the methods that is uh, specifically useful for EAL pupils that, uh, that visualized kind of presentation when I look, let's just imagine that uh, we look at material in another language and what we would look for is just a subheading or uh, a table or something that guides us of how to remember and understand that. So simplifying, but also presenting it in a form that is really easily accessible and tables make great way of presenting content. Um, also homework, homework preparation tasks. We already uh, discussed task. Uh, pupils can prepare some answers uh, at home and exercise them in lessons. And uh, also I want to mention the use of personalized resources. Nowadays they can be um, access accessed everywhere. So just organizing them, preparing um, preparing uh, folders for students, um, maybe have a platform for them where they can access those resources at home, uh, free applications. There is a number of them that they are uh, really useful. So they are these kind of strategies, they are extremely supportive in geography. Something like um, like a list of websites and apps and things that they can access. Absolutely. That maybe yes. goes out at the beginning of the year. That's true. And would you say the success rate, were, um, you know, went up after your audit, you know, of the geography department in your school? Mm -hmm. What was the impact, you know, on what on? Yes, uh, I can't. Uh, I can't share the numbers now. I, I can't remember because it was yeah. a, a few years back now. But uh, yes, absolutely, we had uh, students who were you know, many of those successful stories that we had students who couldn't speak a word of English and they were later presenting uh, on a higher level of performance and uh, they were actually scoring uh, the GCSEs in geography. So obviously, that's the main success and the outcome of uh, of the project. Yeah, that's amazing. And would you say it's similar for history, for example, another sort of language heavy subject? Would you say that similar um, strategies and things can be used in those subjects? In history, similar, we could come back to the fact that we can um, offer longer text to read at home, uh, answer questions at home, memory maps, kind of those glossaries that, that could be displayed somewhere in the classroom so students can refer to the vocabulary. I think uh, in history, the con there is much more written concepts and research concepts. So obviously developing this different scanning techniques, uh, activities related to text, such as gap fill activity, scaffolded tasks, uh, true and false answers, uh, I'm, I'm, activities like... Um, find mistakes, for example, find mistakes yeah. uh, with dates, for example. And then this is challenging and quite fun at the same time. And uh, we can help students develop their independence and research abilities where they actually can go back to a book and find if that was the correct date or it wasn't. So there are yeah, definitely many methods that could be uh, offered to, to pupils. Yes. Definitely. Um, I know geography sort of easy with visuals, isn't it? But um, like you say, many of the strategies can be used 
across the curriculum to support those students at secondary and primary. Um, is there any other advice um, and knowledge you'd like to share, Anna, today that you've come across that would be important for our listeners to know? Hmm. Uh, first of all, I want to stress that with the appropriate level of engagement built for EL pupils, which means appropriate resources and techniques used by teachers, EAL learners thrive in lessons. And we have observed many successful stories in classrooms around the country. And yes, we are still in the process of transformation and adaptation um, in terms of multicultural education. But with today's level of expertise, we have already built a belief proved by research that there are many useful strategies uh, to enable such education. And yes, we are still in the process of development, but we have the foundation now. Um, and at this point, um, I think I'd like to also mention that um, even though it's may appear that the most vulnerable students would be those who are new to English. I think you already have mentioned it. Uh, but uh, let me say something from my personal observation. I tend to say that the most alarming level of EAL pupils is actually the intermediate level. Uh, students on this level are independent, but uh, if they are not driven and without uh, the individualized teaching techniques, quite frequently it happens that they don't progress at all. Of course, they will find friends, jobs, and they have that independence already of being able to sort out everything that they need for themselves. Uh, but they may never become fluent. So I think uh, I'd like to share, share that observation, and I know it from my personal experience, that quite often we have new to English pupils who tend to progress quite quickly to the level of developing competence, that intermediate level. And uh, hey, this is their survival, uh, a natural need to be able to communicate with other pupils and uh, just ask, ask questions uh, or sort out the personal uh, things that they just need. But, but B, is simply much easier to progress at this level. Uh, and then we have that uh, level inter which is intermediate. And that's what I say, that this is the most alarming level because I think we need to focus much more on those students as well. And we are in that need of developing resources for them as well, because if they are not provided... Um, additional vocabulary presentations with maybe those advanced uh, phrases, they may, they may never use them. They are going to use those, um, the vocabulary that is only limited to what they already know. Yeah. That's so, so important. I think it's something that we all um, sort of overlook some, sometimes and you're trying to make sure that everybody in the classroom can access the learning, whereas, like you say, we need to be driving those students on to the next level, don't we? And making sure that they they get what they deserve, really. Absolutely. And thinking about those questions like what can be done better? How can we uh, present it in a different way? How can we use other words? Can you provide uh, some evidence? Can you uh, predict, right? And this is the development when it comes. So finally, uh, also let me add that I see 
opportunities for supporting KAL in every single activity, taking into consideration the fact that we have um, to remember about four skills that pupils aim to advance, which are speaking, reading, writing, and listening. Learning possibilities are actually everywhere. Uh, during teacher talk, during feedback, assessments, yeah. debates, presentations, and so on. And every classroom activity, but actually every school activity becomes a field for learning. And pupils may get the chance to advance that language. But what's important, we have to remember about understanding they needs first. So assessment is key. Yeah, fantastic. And like you say, take every opportunity in that school life to develop that language. And as you mentioned at the beginning, ensuring those social emotional needs are looked at first before anything curricular. Absolutely. We, we have to know our pupils. We have to know uh, what's their background, uh, what's their prior knowledge, what's their experience, past experience, because quite often uh, students may appear to be more confident or more skilled or more advanced, specifically with speaking, speaking versus writing. It's a very common one. Yeah. Um, and when we know those needs from their roots, where they come from and what the child would benefit from, uh, from, from having, having access to what kind of resources and um, intervention, uh, the easier it is to organize better support from them. But consequently, we may discover some talents, some passions, hobbies. So that's why it's important to know pupils on every single level. Yeah, definitely. And you can bring sort of those passions and hobbies and, sort of love for things into your learning, can't you? You know, to get them hooked, get them engaged sometimes. That's true. Oh, thank you so much for joining us today. And it's been brilliant to speak to you. Um, Really, really interesting to talk about geography as well as a subject that doesn't always come up, but that's been coming up recently. And it's good to have a bit of an insight into how we can adapt our learning other than, you know, the English, maths and science that usually come up. Mm Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right. Thank you. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, we look forward to working with you again in the future. And if there's any, um, the conferences and the blogs that you've written, I'll make sure all those are in the are in the podcast notes as well, so people can access them. Is there any um, websites or conferences you'd like to just highlight to the listeners that they can look out for? Uh, so, of course, I can recommend uh, the Nordic website, uh, which is a feed for practitioners, uh, and not only practitioners, but for, for anyone interested in EEL, very rich uh, database uh, of resources, information, research. Uh, recently, uh, there was a conference, that the 30th conference, uh, the big celebration of 30 years of Nordic, which was amazing, very inspirational conference. Uh, consequently, I'd like to recommend using uh, uh, the Bell Foundation website, uh, of course, Winkle with all your fantastic resources uh, and adaptations. And I know how rich the EAL section is now and how many resources and advice is provided then. So, uh, yeah, lots of interesting um, 
websites, applications as well. There is, an, for anybody interested in geography, I think the application is called uh, Nexus uh, EAL Geography. Something to do with ESOL, 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 something like that, a similar name. Okay, I'll have a look at that and put that in the notes. Yes, so sim- simple words, they are actually presented. That it's a, it's a free tool. Words are presented and they can be also practiced in uh, sentences, uh, matching definitions to words, and they have pictures. So that's a useful tool I could recommend. Oh, definitely. I'll put um, all of those notes and all those links into the bio so that anybody that's listening can have an access to those. Um, Again, thank you so much and we'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Thank you very much. This podcast was brought to you by Helen Bodell from Twinkle EAL. We have over 650,000 resources and you can find all of our EAL resources at www.twinkle.co.uk. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and Pinterest by searching Twinkle EAL. Why not subscribe to our podcast and you can find us on Apple, Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music and redcircle.com. You could also leave us a review. If you have any questions you'd like answering on our podcast, please get in touch via our social channels.